Oh, this is going to be a good one. You're listening to Pete the Planner. This week on the Pete the Planner Show, we answer your money questions. That's how the show works. If you join us for the first time, you're like, what's going on? Allow me to explain. Uh, Weary financial genius organization. You email us questions that clear problems up for you, and then we go on radio and podcasts and, and smoke signals, and we answer those questions, and you feel better about your life. We charge you nothing in the process. And when I say we, I mean more than one person. The other person's Damien Dunn, no relation, director of personal financial strategies at Your Money Line. He joins me in studio. He is sitting three and a half feet from me. Hello, Dame. Hello, Peter. Uh, your level's much better. Well, I... We expected nothing less. Dame, three questions this week. One from a lady named Chloe. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you pronounce it. Uh, it, it, it so we got something about uh, uh, prenuptial agreements. Mm-hmm. We've got a question about uh, living on the West Coast and going into debt to buy furniture. Yep. And then I got a, a money a question about running out of money as someone approaches retirement. Ooh. So which one do you want? Uh, we, we're You choose. Don't choose the, the debt and furniture one because I don't have it pulled up. Which Actually, one, which don't one choose do you... the other one either. We're doing Chloe. All right, Dame. All right. Thank you, buddy. Hey, Pete. I wanted to respond to the person wondering how to bring up the topic of prenups. If you're just listening, again, for the first time and, and you don't know how to draw that context into your life, we did have a previous segment slash show about prenups in which you and I just went, ah, for, for nine minutes and 40 seconds. It was probably some of our best advice. I brought up the subject to my fiance, the uh, emailer writes. As a woman coming from a divorced and bankrupt household, my fiancé understood why I never want to be left in the position of my parents, since he understood and loves me unconditionally, as an engaged couple should, he was okay with it. Once I drafted a prenup on one of those law document websites, I realized how protective a prenup is for both parties. I personally think it's a great way to lay out current finances, preferences, and protections when you're in a happy, loving relationship than to wait to the time of divorce when both parties are potentially hurt and seeking revenge. What's that, uh, wasn't there a show on ABC about like revenge? Uh, Shonda Rhimes, she read a show called Revenge. Am I just making things up? Maybe. Okay. It didn't bother us in the slight, she should write a show called Revenge. But It'd be fantastic. Next on ABC, the Shonda Rhimes series. Revenge. That's good. Call me. It didn't bother us in the slightest talking about these things because we both don't actually believe there will be need for the document. But it's nice to have it done if we ever did. I have significantly more Skrilla, I actually wrote money, I added Skrilla, than my husband. But as a woman who wants kids, I feel the need to protect my earnings in order to feel secure for life's potential obstacles. Uh, Time out. This person's really smart. I agree. It's really well written. There's a ton of logic involved, and she has convinced me. We're set to get life insurance within this first year, too. I consider it the same. Also, yes, the kids should get the Tesla, and yes, grocery delivery is life-changing. The bread is never moldy, and the lettuce is always crisp. Trust in your grocer's ever-replaced stock. Of course, that's reference to previous shows, too. Chloe, thanks yeah. for listening. Wow. Yeah. If You can't argue with that. No. I mean, you could. But. Well, she's smart, so we can't. There's no logical logical fallacies here. I, I think if you are with the right person, and in which is to say, if you're about to get married, you do think they're the right person. I hope 
unless they're loaded and you're desperate. Um, I would think that you could pull this off, but you have to be the right person to feel that way too. It's not just on the person you're going to marry. You have to have a high level of character and, and gumption to be able to bring that up. Gumption? Yeah. Look it up. Google it. You could bang it. You're not going to find the answer, but that's the word. Okay. So in, going on her theory here, which I buy into 100%, would you go home to your wife this evening and say, I, I've really been thinking about our relationship and the financial ramifications of, of our, our partnership. And I think, although we did not do it at the time when we were married, I think it would be a good idea to enter into a nuptial agreement. It's not pre, because that ship has sailed. But let's go ahead and sign up some things right now in the event that we go our separate ways. Would you, based on the logic of Chloe, would you be comfortable to do that to protect you both? Can we negotiate some lodging allowances for my employment here? <laughs> we, you would be staying at one of those uh, like econo lodges you know, we, for weekly rates. Yeah, that's what's weird about this. It makes so much sense pre-marriage, but in the midst of a marriage, I'm now on my twentieth uh, year of my term. I feel like if I brought that up, I'd be in, I'd be in serious trouble. You're already married, dude. If you're going to start talking about breaking up. That's gonna, but with that logic, she just said that there's nothing wrong with it. And I, again, I'm not being condescending here. I think she's got a brilliant point. You can't look at her point and say, Yeah, but you shouldn't have a prenup. No, I, I'm not. This is turning you know, quickly devolve into a, a repeat of, of last segment that we talked about where this we just focused like, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm sure this works, this approach works for. Some people. Small percentage is where you're going. Small percentage of people. Okay, what are the characteristics of those people? Maybe that's where we go with this. Um, I think uh, people who have come from households much like Chloe did, especially if they are partnered together. Okay. Um, I think this becomes a very natural conversation because uh, they've seen and been a part of families that have failed and they've seen how horribly that goes. And if you are going to put yourself in a position of, well, frankly, vulnerability, right. uh, then you are more willing to have this conversation. But if you are, if you came from this household and your uh, partner came from a household with parents that have been married for 30 or 40 years, that's going to be a tough sell. I think you have to be very emotionally intelligent, hmm? both people. Because it can't be so reductive that you say, what do you think about the prenup? And the other person goes, you don't trust me? Because that's the... And then they hitch their shoulders up, you know, like the like a cobra. You looked really big there, yeah. I felt bigger. Yeah, I think that's it. I think it's emotional intelligence. I also think that... Do you think income has anything to do with it? In terms of how close incomes are or aren't? Eh, I don't know. I'm just talking myself back out of that. I don't know. I, I don't I, think... It might play a role for some people, but I, I think others, it's it's going to be a pure emotion play. I also don't think gender has anything to do with this either. No. I mean, again, we, we live in 2019. You could have two women getting married, two men getting married, so gender really can't have anything to do with this. Yeah. And I know same-sex couples that have prenuptial agreements. So um, let's do this. If you think a person should get a prenuptial agreement prior to getting married, hit me on Twitter, at Pete the Planner, yes to prenups. 
Uh, if you disagree, hit me on Twitter at Pete the Planner. No to prenups, or you can email us to fill up our email, email inbox with no and yeses. Uh, ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. That's ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. I've just talked myself back out of this again. I, I love the fact that we can make a decision and then turn it around within nine minutes. It's crazy because I think about if my daughter came to me or my son came to me 10 years from now and said, the person I, but you know what? I have nothing to do with the relationship. I just thought of that. I was being that, the toxic masculinity that somehow I care what they, they do. You're being a dad. I am being a dad. You know, Chloe's right. So, but, okay, so let's say your daughter says, I think I want to get a prenup before I marry this guy. Does that change? Oh, what she comes to me with a prenup. Yeah. Oh, it kind of does. See? This is, what do you oh, think Chloe's SAT scores are? Like 1,800 or it, whatever. Top is 1,600. No, they changed it back. It is back 1,600? Yeah. I'm so old. My nephew just took it. I don't know. Guess what? 1,600? He, he might be our boss someday. Okay. All right, coming up after the break, uh, we're going to do furniture, moving to the West Coast, and credit. All that is next. That was tight, wasn't it? It was pretty mm. good. All that's next on the Pete the Planner Show. Uh, join us at PeteThePlanner.com for a bevy of free resources. Oh, that felt dirty. All right, uh, we'll be back in just a moment. I'm Pete the Planner, and this is my show. Back on the Pete the Planner show. Oh, it's an eventful break. When you were listening to commercials or a little ditty on the podcast, the conversation in the studio was wild. Ooh. Damien's back. I'm back. Oh, next question. Hi, Pete and Damien. No relation done. He gets it. That's me. I know generally the opinion voice on the show is that credit agencies <clears throat> suck and caring about your credit score is always dumb. Not an actual quote. You know what? Could be. I typically hold this attitude, but as a nearly 30-year-old looking to buy a house in the next decade, it looks like I am forced into caring about this ridiculous three-digit number for a while. Mine's only two digits. The situation, my SO, which I'm going to go with significant other. Probably. My boo, my bae, fiance, and I recently self-funded a move from San Francisco to suburban Washington. Ah, the Southeast. While this was largely driven by my significant other's desire to live in Seattle, since she was young, we also took it as an opportunity to buy a tremendous number of umbrellas because of the rain. I added that part mm -hmm. uh, to reduce costs, partly by not moving uh, to Seattle. Our rent is $750 a month cheaper here. And so far, the cost of living seems, as predicted, lower. However, this move was not driven by a job offer, but rather a combination of my job being remote and my significant other's job in San Francisco, well, <clears throat> no longer existing. That's a nice way to say canned. I, we don't know that. I don't know. This seems rude now. As a result, the full cost of the move was self-funded. And we were down to one income in San Francisco for three to four months. We budgeted and saved, anticipated an eventual move, and kept our total cost near our estimated total as a result. But still tapped into an emergency fund 
significant other has also landed a job almost immediately after we arrived here because she's awesome. And there's a Starbucks on every corner. I added that part too. Between junking old furniture and moving on uh, from what most of the country would describe as a closet in San Francisco to an actual apartment, we opted to finance about $4,000 worth of furniture at 0% for 48 months. My parents raised me with a mentality similar to the Steve Martin don't buy stuff you can't afford skit. But a 0% offer seemed like a safe choice. One additional cost to living in the suburbs and with my significant other back to work is needing a second car in our household. After some shopping around and with cash flow not being an issue because we're stinking loaded, I added that part, I opted to finance the vehicle with $5,000 down and a $14,000 loan in order to build our credit. As a result, I went from no debt to around $18,000 debt in only a month. It was spelled with a TH. A development that has freaked me out a little bit. Okay. As someone who is incredibly nervous, but by the way, we will be back after the break to remind, read the reminder of the email. No. As someone who's, in, I skipped a bunch of details. As someone who's incredibly nervous about having debt as an ongoing part of the household budget, I'm comfortable enough with paying off the 0% finance furniture over the 48-month window. However, I am not comfortable with a 6.9% car loan on the budget for the full length of the loan, also 48 months. Several sources have now told me that refinancing or paying down the loan too quickly can hurt my credit score as we will need to utilize credit to finance a house in the near future. I do not want to risk lowering my credit score, which is already only around 720 because of a lack of credit history. All right, I'm going to stop reading because I'm parched and I need an entire <laughs> jug of Gatorade or Powerade. You were so close to finishing it. I just, I couldn't. Can you imagine running a marathon and you get to the 26.0 mile mark and there's 0.2 to go. I did the math for you. And you're just like, nah, mm -mm. No. can't do it. That's how this that's email just, went down. That's what you just that's did. What I just did. Yeah. I could see the finish line. I could see the people in those tin foil wrappers staying warm, puking on themselves. Oh, such a beautiful sight. Okay, there's some things going on in this. First of all, I have no problem with anything he said up until the last paragraph. Okay. Okay. And, and it's not that I have a problem. It's just I disagree, which is a problem. 720 is fine. Don't care. And if he's making these payments, his credit score will climb significantly. If he makes these for a year, he could be close to 800. Yeah. And paying it off early doesn't matter nope. at all. So these sources of yours in relation to it ruining your chance of purchasing a home are in fact alarmists and should be dismissed expediently. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I look... Good decision to finance the furniture, arguably, at 0% for 48 months if you have the income and cash flow to support it. You know, I typically would not recommend people go buy $4,000 worth of furniture. What are the chances that this guy's a minimalist and he likes high-end things and he just bought like a folding chair that was like a designer folding chair for four grand? Or do you think he bought several sectional sofas and tables? I'm going to go somewhere in the middle. Do you think he bought like high-end Swedish furniture at a place called like Hikea? I think that's a very high likelihood. Hikea? Hi I, I got like it. Like high-end Ikea? I got it. Hikea? Yeah. You're really proud about that one, aren't you? Do you think they bought a Kia? Doubt it. A high-end Ikea? Cool. <laughs> it's been a rough day. The good news is you can edit this. I'm not going to edit this. <sighs> this is gold. Um... Damn, I think people make really good decisions and then 
this idea that your credit score has to keep climbing sneaks into your head and messes up your whole jam. And this is what's happening with our boy. What's his name? Does he want his name read? Gary Ferguson, 1275 Main Street. I'm just, I mean, that it's a different name. Do you think that happens to people? Yeah, I think some people, and we see this uh, on your money line, people call and say, I need help raising my credit score. Well, why? Because I heard you have to raise it. Yeah, what's the purpose? I mean, if you're not doing anything where you're going to need a reasonable credit score in the next, you know, close future. Well said. I I know, I I use words for a living. Um, Don't worry about it. Just keep doing what you're doing, have good credit behavior, Pay off the stuff you've already got on time and let let your credit nature take its course. That's pretty good. Uh, if your credit score is in the 500s or something like that, you probably need to make some effort. Sure. If you're above 700, like, chill out. Yeah. Like, listen to some Sade. Light a candle. Wow, Sade. You I'm, like Sade? I'm, I know what I'm looking up on, uh, on my streaming service on the way home. I uh, worked at Lafayette Square Mall when I was in high school, uh-huh. circa 1995-1994, holiday season. I was a seasonal employee. Best of Sade was on repeat in the six-disc CD changer. Um, primarily, my issues, though, at working at Lafayette Square is I almost got threatened. I did get threatened by a person that was using a lighter to burn through those giant cassette tape holders. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the, were the security function, and I saw the person do it, and I looked him in the eye, and then he ran off, and then he stood outside the store and eyeballed me until my shift was over, and I had to call mall security, and the woman walked me to my car. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, it, so it's a good story that ended well. The other story there is we were right next to a pretzel stand, like a soft pretzel stand, uh-huh. and the and. I used to flirt with the manager to get free pretzels. What was his name? I don't remember his name, but he was very nice, and I feel like I used him well, because I would go over there sort of coyly and flirt with him, and he would give me free pretzels. Well, that's okay. I'm not proud of that. It's all right. And this is that was well before my time. Yeah, I mean, you were a, 1995. I was a trendsetter. You were just you know a, a starving high school student who needed a little attention and pretzels. Anyway, if you have a question and you want us to ruin your life. Email us, askpete at petetheplanner.com, askpete at petetheplanner.com. Look, damn, I don't want people to hear this segment. There's a run on furniture. What if we got like Value City Furniture as a sponsor on this show? What do you think? I just pay up. Show me the cash. A little VCF. Straight cash, homie. Coming up after the break, a woman who uh, a site said she'll have enough money to live till she's 100, and she wants to know whether to trust it and what she should think about that. It's actually a really good question because a lot of times those projections tell you how old you can be, but then there's a lot of other factors like medical expenses and life and all sorts of other things. So coming after the break, we're going to talk about that right here on the Pete the Planner show. I'm I'm the host, (laughs) Pete the Planner. back on the pizza planner show i had to i started the segment and i and i didn't go well so i restarted it and clearly this is going well dear pete starting listening to your podcast early 2019 after senior column in usa today i believe it's pronounced 
USA Today. While vacationing in Florida, I listen each morning before leaving for work, and I'm up to episode 141. When do you think she'll hear this episode then? Oh, man. We're going to answer her question, and she won't know. If she, if she worked from the beginning on, like, what's going to happen? It's, we're going to have to come back and revisit this. I'm now 65 and on the verge of retiring. I'm reluctant to retire, but I'm feeling it's a time to leave my position for various reasons. I'm going to hit the timeout button on this. Like, how many timeouts do I get per segment? Uh, two fulls and three 20s. Okay, this is a 20. I'm going to actually take two 20s here. It's uh, me tapping my shoulders. Uh Reluctance to retire is a thing, and, and it mm-hmm. should not be glossed over here. It is one of the most significant decisions a person can make, and there's a lot of feelings you can catch in the process of doing that, and they aren't always positive ones. Absolutely. Uh, you've, you know, you kind of got to want to retire at this point. Absolutely. Yeah, you've got to want to retire, and you have to have a plan to do so. And you have to have a plan on how to spend your time. Dan, one of the biggest mistakes I see is that people think that retirement is just a real long vacation period. Yeah. I I had a conversation very similar to this with my dad. Um, he was talking about selling the business that he had you know, started and, and grown, and, and but then he would go work for somebody else part-time. I said, do you not like what you're doing or the business anymore? He's like, well, no, I, I really like it. I said, why are you going to sell it? Just keep doing it yeah. or, or do less of it, but keep doing it. So they, this has got to be something that you feel like you need to do. Continuing the email, I hope to continue working part-time if I find a job where I oh. do not feel chained to an office each day for a committed amount of time. I'm going to hit use another timeout here. This uh, woman, this emailer is 65 years old, and uh, what's happening in a lot of trendier workplaces these days or the ideas of working remotely mm-hmm. and having an open office policy where people can work from home one day a week or whatever, and you don't have that chained in feeling. Now, not all industries and organizations mm-hmm. can pull that off, but it's because of these very common feelings that this emailer has that those policies have developed two years ago. I began using Vanguard Advisor Service to help me navigate retirement years. I had invested with them on my own personally after filling out their profile online and speaking with advisors from time to time. I am told I am on course financially to have adequate funds to age 100. I own my home, no debt currently, $180,000 in investments, estimated monthly expense of $2.6,000. That's how she wrote it. Can we talk about that? Uh, Do we need to? 2.6K. Yeah, well, good for her. Pensions total $600 monthly plus Social Security at about $1,860 monthly, or what I would call 1.86K. I would like to never worry about money again, but I find that it is on my mind a lot. Sometimes I get weary holding back on spending for fear of getting derailed. Any words of wisdom? She'll hear this around her 70th birthday because... So congratulations on retirement. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Hey, I hope it's going well because this is 200 episodes later. Yeah. What are we on? Like 331 or something like that? Something like, something that. like that. No one knows. Uh, I'm going to need a calculator. Okay. So let's let's do her math here. 1860 a month mm-hmm. plus 600. She's at 2460 a month. Yep. Her expenses are uh, 2.6K uh, <laughs> a month, which is she's got a, a shortage of $140 a month on $180,000 of investments. Yep. It should work. Sure. Um, 
I don't want to instill, when she hears this several years from now, I don't want to instill a lack of confidence in her because she looks like she has the income to support what she wants. But I, I would just like to say, typically, if a person has $180,000 in any given year, that means they could break uh, about $7,200 a year out of those investments or $600 a month. So she can pull this off if no major life happens. And costs don't inflate uh, unexpectedly. And I would also say, to that point, she did say she's going to work part-time, which would bridge that Absolutely. gap, right? Yeah. If she can leave her $180,000 nest egg alone, mm-hmm. she'll be fine. If she has to tap it and life happens, I think she could be... I think that's where this gets hairy, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't have retirement confidence. If if we're saying no one can retire because they don't know what's going to happen, that's ridiculous. Sure. If this person called you and and went through this scenario with you, as you can't guarantee it's going to be fine or anything like that, obviously, or if you do, mm-hmm. we'll have to talk about your employment. But what, what degree of confidence would you instill in this person based on, on how you feel about their plan? Pure numbers only. She's sounds like she's reduced her um, expenses or debts as, as much as reasonable yep. at this point. Um her savings is what it is at this point. It's, yeah. it's not going to get dramatically better between now. Even if she delays retirement by a couple of years, that's not going to get drastically better. Um, but the good news is the Social Security, the the little pension that she's got, um, and the assets, they all seem to line up really well. Plus her willingness to work a little bit more in part, uh, into uh, that transition between full-time and, and full retirement. I think things are setting up really well. I, I would give her a high likelihood of success here. I agree. I, I don't know why I'm so reluctant. I, I think sometimes... Did, did I do that? What's happening? Um, I don't know why I'm so reluctant. I, I think it's because $180,000 doesn't sound like a great deal of money. You know? Yeah, it, it's not. But if you... Let's not let's not look at the, the number itself. Um is the goal. We, we need to make sure that the needs, the month-to-month needs are what's satisfied, and that number happens to do it. What do you think she would need to make a month in a part-time employment? Three to four hundred dollars a month uh, net to make this seem like a good idea? Yeah, yeah. I, I think she could easily make that work. That's not going to probably require her to work too much, uh, probably give her a little bit of a break and some extra freedom. But we'll also provide her all the flexibility in the world by not having to touch that $180,000 yet. Uh, probably until she's 70 and a half will require minimum distributions are going to kick in. I don't know why I keep putting a fly in this way, but I have two other things that bother me about this. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm going to make her paranoid. But if you ask a question, I want to thoroughly make sure I feel sure. good about it. Okay, so number one, when some people say they have estimated monthly expenses of $2,600 or $2,600, what's in that? Because I've heard right. people yeah. say my expenses are twenty six hundred, and then I spend four hundred and fifty bucks a month on food. So if those are her total expenses, copacetic, mm-hmm. I'm good to go. Mm-hmm. If she, that's her her bills, and then she still has her discretionary, I would have some concern. Right? Sure. Yeah. The other thing, and and I have no indication that she's going to fall for this very common pitfall, is that so often when a person hears that they're good to go for a hundred. And they are 65, and they think about that that spectrum of age and aging. They will say, well, I want to do more things when I'm 65. Sure. And so they'll have a higher withdrawal and spend-down rate on that 
that nest egg, in her case, $180,000, and it can compromise that top end 100. Not not that she needs to have money around until she's 100. And I don't want to start like getting her physical emailed to us, but 100 is pretty aggressive. I mean, can she just feel comfortable living to 98 if she wants to, to live more comfortably now? Yeah, I, there's uh, there's actually some growing research and, and thought around that very idea of, of spending more while you're younger in retirement uh, to enjoy that, that time period in your life. So uh, it obviously will come with some trade-offs, but that's something that you can you can decide and for yourself. All right, Donna, your math works. Yeah. It works. I'm, I'm comfortable with it. And again, I don't, don't hesitate based on what I'm saying. I'm just really trying to work through it. You've lived with your financial life. You work with advisors. I've uh, experienced your financial life now for nine minutes and two seconds. So that's what took me some uh, comfort. Don't discount your reluctance, though. Um, don't view it as a reason to not do it, but to lean into the fact that, yeah, this is an emotional time and you need support and you need to talk to other friends who have been through this, others that are considering it. Um, I think the mental aspects and the mental health aspects surrounding retirement and finances in general are often uh, not talked about enough. And I hope that you do that, Donna. Coming up after the break, the biggest waste of money of the week and the news right here on the Pete the Planner Show. I'm Pete the Planner. This week's biggest waste of money of the week, the Blom right here on the Pete the Planner Show is, I have two. One is a low dollar waste of money. The other one is a higher dollar waste of money. Which would you like first? Low, low dollar? dollar? Okay, low good, dollar. cause that's where I'm at. The Westwell tool belt. Well, the phrase tool belt might conjure images of a Batman-like ring of gadgetry that couldn't be farther from these Westwell belts. Instead of placing items around the belt, they hide common tools inside the buckle. Two styles are available. Uh, the clicker, a nylon belt with a magnetic buckle that serves as a bottle opener, a bit holder, and the Voyager, a more traditional Italian leather design with two interchangeable tool prongs and four integrated wrenches. Keychain tool kits are available for both models, expanding their capabilities without adding bulk to the belt itself. Dame, I'm looking at them here. Um, I don't, I don't want, I'm not a high drama guy, uh, but I will say this is literally the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. I, I cannot imagine a more uncomfortable situation when somebody says, has anybody got a screwdriver and you start unbuckling your pants? <laughs> okay. Funniest thing you've said on the show <laughs> since August of 17. Well, I wasn't even on the show. And you also made a joke during the break that got some snickers from people with less discerning comic tastes <laughs> but a higher iq that's true um yeah the, i can't have a better joke than that other than to say that when you go to fly you know like and, yeah. and you you take off that belt you will get very friendly friskings yeah if if you like the touch of a sweaty hard-working tsa agent and they're sweating because they're hard-working that's right i would buy the westwell tool belt for 45 what a Ugh. tremendous waste of money. Man, you should be ashamed of your... The next one is the Tap Strap 2 Gesture Controller. The original tap aimed to replace a keyboard. The Tap Strap 2 can replace a keyboard, mouse, and even a remote. Its air mouse technology has three modes, which enable the hand-worn device to replicate a standard mouse 
control media playback, or navigate the menus on an Apple TV, Amazon Fire, or Smart TV. Enhanced iPad support allows users to rapidly input text and navigate the interface using a single hand. And there are physical improvements as well, including a new thumb ring glider, 10 hours of battery life, and improved mouse optics, $199. Dame, let me, let me tell you what this thing looks like, okay? Uh, I want you to imagine um, something that's probably about a half inch wide, a black strap. Okay. Wrap it, start with your thumb, wrap it around the base of your thumb. Okay. Then take it to the base of your index finger, mm -hmm. wrap it a couple times, then wrap it around the middle finger, then to your ring finger, then to your pinky. And so it, it sort of just binds your fingers together at the base of each finger. Okay. That's what this is. And, and it is somehow a improvement to the technology that already exists, which is a keyboard, a remote control, and a mouse. Like what, and it's $199 to tape your fingers together, and you look like some sort of like special duck. I feel like you look like Dr. Strange oh, trying, it, trying to make all this stuff happen. And It's really strange. I mean, it is strange. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I, yeah. Huge waste of money. Way to go, company who solved problems that don't exist. Good luck with that VC. Yeah, I'm not buying one. A 36-year-old New York lawyer who makes $270,000 says he lives off rice and beans so he can save 70% of his salary. He's part of a growing movement of penny pinchings to retire early. Dame, we're going to have some. This is going to hit real close to home for some of our listeners. The fire community. Yeah. Financial independence retire early, so the whole idea is you grind hard, like a Paula Abdul video from the 90s. Mm. That was pretty good. <laughs> um, you grind really hard, and you save like 70% of your money. You don't do anything fun except eat various legumes, and then you try to quit working early and don't do anything then because you don't have enough money to do anything fun then. I think that's the key point. Is that you? Uh, you work really hard, and not spend any money, so you can retire early and have to watch every penny you save in retirement. I'm a different strokes for different folks sort of fella. Well, that's what the tattoo on my lower back says. But I will about, tell Willis? you this: I think that's a terrible thing for someone who thinks the way I do. I don't want to always feel like the world is ending and I only have a few resources left. Yeah, it's just not for me. And what are you going to do? You're, 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 you retire at 37. You can't spend any money. You got nothing to do. I mean, I guess you just sit around with a, a hand mouse. That's right. And you change your you, Apple TV. You wouldn't have the hand mouse, though. That's right. You totally wouldn't. You know what? You wouldn't even need a toolbox, though, because you just buy the $49 belt, and you just walk around and screw things in with your, <laughs> with your midsection. Look, Mom, no hands. <laughs> well... That's one. That's one way to pass the time. We're going to start probably videoing the show again and putting it up on the internet. And I'm really glad this episode, based on that last movement, is not being broadcast. Dame um, Fidelity cuts its fees to zero dollars as it jumps on zero commission bandwagon. So here's what's happening right now. You tell. You say what's happening. I'm tired. I quit. All right, so uh, Fidelity and a number of the other large brokers are in a race to the bottom at this point, uh, trying to cut as many fees as possible to attract more people to send assets to them. And this has been coming for a while now. Uh, the obvious one is to re reduce or eliminate commissions or what people have to pay when they make a transaction 
on these sites or on, with these companies. And now Fidelity and a number of other companies have finally reached that point. And it is starting to affect uh, their, well, not their profitability. They're still making plenty of cash, but not nearly as much as they were five or 10 years ago. It is interesting uh, in the financial world at, at large, there's fee compression mm-hmm. all over the place, yep. especially in retirement plans and, and whatnot. Uh, but now it's gone to the retail level of commissions. I, you know, I, I had to be honest. I can't say whether it's good or bad. I don't look at them like, well, this is great news for investors. I don't actually feel that way. I think it's just sort of, I mean, I don't, I don't make any trades a year on my portfolio, so it would saved me nothing. Exactly. It's, it, I mean, it's good news. I mean, I, I'd much rather pay right. pay nothing than something. But for most people, this isn't going to affect their you know, future at all, because you shouldn't be uh, in there trading inside and out of your account and, and, you know, looking for the next hot deal and and doing all of that because you're going to get burned. So get your portfolio, set it up the way it needs to be, rebalance it once or twice a year, maybe four times if if you feel really strong about it and let it go, man. Financial superstar, Kristen Alanis. Alanius, pardon me. There you go. <laughs> Member of our team. Yeah, let's get it right. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, she sent me an article that says, uh, file this thing away under things not to do. And in some colleges are letting you pay your tuition bill with a credit card. <laughs> what are we doing? At what point do colleges feel responsible for giving people really bad advice? Well, apparently not yet. Because what they'll do is they'll say, well, we're not saying you should, but if you wanted to pay this tuition bill with your credit card, you can. And you probably get some cash back. And the like... It, because the points you can travel home. Do you remember during the recession when for-profit universities were saying, I'm not saying you should sign up for student loans so you can have money to live on because you lost your job, but you could. Mm-hmm. That's a big thing. Yeah. Dame, uh, as we wrap up this week's show, you know what this week is? No. Peter Kahn. Oh, yeah. Every year, our annual team meeting happens in central Indiana. People from all over the globe, true. Not all of just the United States. Come to Peter Kahn. And it will be a great job, a great time. Everyone will have fun. I, I've been looking forward to it literally for months. Our company awards will be handed out on Friday morning, the Golden Peters. The much, uh, much prestigious, much prestigious. <laughs> Damien is head of content here at uh, Pete the Planner World Headquarters. Uh, Dame, this has been an amazing show. Right. Here's what we've learned. Yeah. Uh, prenups make sense if you're emotionally intelligent and so is the person you're marrying. And they make sense. Uh, you can buy $4,000 worth of furniture at 0% interest if you've got a lot of cash flow. But don't worry about your credit score too much because paying off that furniture will help. And we also learned that living to 100 is great unless you retire at 37 and you can't spend any money because all you eat is rice and beans. I agree. I'm sending you good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. Damian Dunn has been a big member of this show today, and I'm inviting you back for yet another week, good sir. Sweet. And I'm going to say goodbye to you as well. Peter Nicholas Dunn signing off to you. Have a great day. Mm